podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Monday, the 24th of May, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com, in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. You can check out their services at libertyshield.com. Use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. If you want to do things like change your location to access American Netflix, or just keep your data safe online, Liberty Shield is the service for you. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, the Premier League season is over. It has been a bizarre season. It, I think the second strangest I can remember after the 14-15 season, no, the, sorry, the 15-16 season, when Leicester were crowned Premier League champions. It's just been bizarre from start to finish. Somehow Liverpool end up third. Somehow Arsenal, who've been dreadful all season, win six in a row to finish their season. Newcastle end up 12th. Everton end up in 10th. What a very, very disappointing year for Everton. We know who's gone. It's Sheffield United. It's West Brom. It's Fulham. We know two of the teams that are coming up in Norwich and Watford. We'll have a Brentford-Swansea playoff final we'll discuss later in the week. A strange season that ended with a very strange final day. Might as well start with the champions. Manchester City 5, Everton 0. City just looked imperious. They just looked like they were playing a completely different sport. Everton rolled over for them as soon as the second goal went in. De Bruyne had made it 1-0 on 11 minutes. Really good work from Riyad Mahrez. Feeds De Bruyne and from about 20 yards, he bends his shot into the bottom corner past the outstretched tiny arms of Jordan Pickford. Gabriel Jesus works into the channel, cuts back and makes it two just three minutes later. And Everton never really put up a fight. They did get a penalty. Ruben Diaz potentially a little bit lucky to stay on the field, though he was making a legitimate attempt to play the ball. Diaz brings down Richarlison, who broke through after Diaz made a positional mistake. Up steps Gilfie Sigurdsson, and it's a very impressive save by Ederson to deny him. And then the game just kind of petered out. Phil Foden made a three, lovely little slip aside from his left foot to his right. His 16th goal in the Premier League this season. A tremendous season. He's going to be an absolutely phenomenal football player. There can be no doubt that Phil Foden is going to be one of the players that England build around for the next 10 years. Him, Sancho, Saka, Bellingham, potentially Declan Rice, Mason Greenwood. It's a sensational group of young teens slash 20, 21-year-olds that England are going to have at their disposal. Unfortunately, they are managed at the moment by a PE teacher, but you don't imagine that will be the case long-term. This group is going to be far too special to be entrusted into the hands of Gareth Southgate. You can even factor in the likes of Rashford, obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold. People like Ryan Sessegnon that have maybe slowed a bit in their development but still have that huge talent to come on. Callum Hudson-Odoi. There is just an endless procession of elite young English players coming through. For those that argue against immigration and integration of people from other countries into your society, just take a look at what your football team is going to look like in five years' time. Most of the best players in it will be as a result of immigration. 
might be something to consider next time you go on a little bit of a rant on social media about immigrants coming across and taking your job. You're more than happy to go and celebrate their children play football. Oh, but they were born in England, yeah, but their parents weren't. But by them coming here, they have bettered the society. They have bettered the sporting future of your country. And they don't take your job either. Um, that's an aside. Sergio Aguero makes it four with a lovely outside the right foot finish on 71 after good work from Fernandinho to win the ball back and feed him. And then Aguero makes it five on 76 with a tremendous header again from a Fernandinho assist. A brilliant cross from the right-hand side. Aguero from fully 16 yards. Powerful header into the corner of the net. What a wonderful moment to see this incredible striker leave the Premier League. I assume he's leaving. I assume he's going to Barcelona. But what a wonderful moment to see him leave the Premier League with two goals in his final game in the league. He has just been sensational since the minute he arrived. He has been a wonderful player. He is the owner of of the most iconic moment in Premier League history, and he is the owner of a tremendous goal-scoring record. 184 Premier League goals in 275 games. While he won't have been pleased with this season, the injuries, he has slowed a bit, obviously. Four goals in 12 games is obviously way, way below the standards he sets. But what a player. And how fitting that Fernandinho, who is now, well, after next weekend in the Champions League final, will be the last remaining link to those older City teams. Zabaleta is gone. Company is gone. Yaya is gone. David Silva is gone. And now Aguero's gone. And Fernandinho is the only link to that, kind of the beginning of it all. And he wasn't even there for the first one. But... I'm glad to see Aguero go with goals. It's what he's been known for. And the two goals were Aguero-type goals. The cheek of the first one and the brilliance of the second one. Obviously, he'll have one more game for Manchester City, a Champions League final next weekend. They will go into it full of confidence off the back of this win. They looked very, very good, whereas they haven't looked particularly good for the last couple of weeks. But this was a great performance. Mares is in form. Sterling looked better. Gabby Jesus looked good. They've got Gundigan hopefully back for the final. Rodri should be in the team for the final. City go into the final full of confidence and likely at somewhere close to full strength. And City at full strength are, are a different beast. They have nobody at the moment ruled out. So... That's advantage to them. Um, for Everton, a tenth is very, very disappointing. It's the first time in Carlo Ancelotti's career where he has started a season with a club that they've ended up outside the top six. Um, it is a slight step up on the 12th place finish from last year. But to miss Europe entirely, very disappointing. You'd wonder what kind of effect that will have on the recruitment. The players they've been linked with don't seem like the best ideas. Isco, Phil Coutinho, they just don't seem like the type of players that are going to improve this Everton team. Ideally, you want to get you know more Calvert-Lewins, more Richarlisons, another Alan in midfield, you know more Ben Godfrey's in defence. You want to get younger. You want to get more pace, more power into your team, more aggressive. James Rodriguez has been wonderful when he's played, but he just hasn't played enough. And the fact that the night before this game, he posts a picture of himself on an aeroplane heading off on holiday before the Copa America. It To me, that just shows a lack of caring. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe he's very much you know, ingrained in Everton. Maybe they are ingrained in him, but... To me, he missed 15 games this season. He was on holiday at least once during the season. And he didn't stick around for the final day. Like, fair enough, you couldn't play. You still should have been there to support your team. You still should have been at the stadium to support your teammates. I think Everton need to ask some questions about him in the summer. 
I don't think they should buy another one of him, which is what Isco would be. Coutinho will offer more, and he'll care more. But the fit would be very, very strange. They need to get one more in midfield. They need a right-back or a centre-back if Holgate is going to play right-back. But if they're going to play a midfield three, surely you want a more attacking right-back than Holgate. They definitely need a new goalkeeper. Jordan Pickford just is not the answer to any question other than who's the first person Everton should look to sell this summer. Uh, Everton end the season with a minus one goal differential. It's just unacceptable. It really just is unacceptable. They're the only team in the top 11 with a negative goal differential. For all intents and purposes, Everton have been a, a bottom half team. When you look at their home form, it was an absolute shambles this season. Their away form was excellent up until yesterday, but their home form just let them down all year long. Their home form was that of a team struggling against relegation. It will be interesting to see how these players react next summer. It'll also be interesting to see if Calvert-Loon and Richarlison stick around. I don't know what offers will be out. I know one club that's very interested in Calvert-Loon. I don't know what offers will be out there for Richarlison in this COVID market. But you'd imagine somebody will have interest. They do have the option of bringing Moise Keane back. I would do that if I was them. I think you need another one in attack. Even if not a starter, if you had Calvert-Loon and Richarlison as you're starting to, and Moise Keane in rotation, so you always had two of those three excellent young players on the pitch, that'd be a great starting point. Hamas will be your number 10, that's fine. If you want to keep Gilfie Sigurdsson around as the backup again, that's fine. But you've got to find a starter in midfield to go with Alan and Dukure. You've got Davies, you've got Gomez, you've got Gabam, and there's a backup three. Like I said, right back and goalkeeper, they need to address. They just need to address those positions very, very quickly. I don't think they'll address the goalkeeping situation, despite the fact Pickford was dropped multiple times this season and has not played well when he's been in the team. I don't think they'll address it, but hopefully right back, midfield, uh, get done. What Carlo does, I don't know, because as I said before, he's never one who's gone into a club and rebuilt them. That's not really his thing. Carlo, like Rafa Benitez, is the type of guy who takes over a good team, tweaks them, adds a couple of pieces, and then makes them a very good team or a great team. Everton needed a rebuild. They needed a reboot. They needed more, you know, Mason Holgates, Ben Godfrey's, that Calvert-Lewins, Richarlison's. They needed younger players. Godfrey's the young player they brought in. Decoure was 27, 28. Alan was pushing 30. James is 29, going 30. They needed to get younger, and they didn't. They bought win-now players, and they weren't ready to win now, unfortunately. They didn't have the mentality. They didn't have the depth. So hopefully this summer there's more of a plan in place, and they do go and think long-term. You've got to start thinking long-term at that club. can't just be about next season. It's got to be for the next three to five seasons. They need to start planning as well for what happens when Carlo leaves. It might be a year from now. It could be two years from now, but eventually he will leave. And they've got to start planning for who is going to take over when Carlo leaves. He's 61 years of age. He's not native to the country. I don't imagine he's overly enamored with the weather, the food, the lifestyle. This is a man who's, you know, used to the finer things in life. They need to have that succession plan in place. Everton need to start thinking big picture. For too long, it's been season to season. The mentality needs to change. Moving on, Manchester United 2, Wolves 1 at Molyneux. Alanga, Anthony Alanga with a good-headed goal to put United 1-0 up. Nelson Semedo taking advantage of some poor defending from United to make it 1-1. And then Juan Mata with a penalty on 14. It was first, first half, four minutes into added time in the first half, the 49th minute of the game. Um. It was a penalty. It, it has to be said. Donny van der Beek was, was hacked down in the box. It was a penalty. But what led to the penalty was just more comedic defending from Wolves. And it's been the mark of their season, just how poor defensively they have been. They finished 13th. Second half played out with nothing happening, so there's no point in talking about it. But Wolves finished 13th. Level with Newcastle. 
Same goal difference as Newcastle. Now, Newcastle conceded 10 more, but scored 10 more. Wolves scored 36 goals this season. Only the bottom four scored less. That's a shambles. Defensively, they were poor. 52 goals conceded is not acceptable. It's just been a season from hell for Wolves. We know Nuno is leaving. It's not really a surprise. I called that months ago that Nuno could go. What is surprising is the timing of it. To do it before the final game uh, was a little bit strange. There was no reason it couldn't have been done today. Maybe, Maybe it was so the fans would have a chance to say goodbye to him. In terms of replacement, the current favourite is Bruno Laga, former Benfica manager. Won the title with Benfica. Second season went poorly and he got sacked. Um, He has been an assistant with Sheffield Wednesday and Swansea. So he he knows the English game. Carlos Calviol was his his boss back in those days. He was with him for quite a while. Traipsed around with him. Um... He's he's highly rated, but that Benfica job just ended poorly. It just ended badly for him. Now, he still won 67.1% of his games. He is, uh, you know, a Portuguese manager who would be able to fit in with the squad that they've assembled there. They've got questions to answer themselves this summer. We don't know what Raul Jimenez they're going to get back. Will he be the same player? Will he have a hesitancy to his game? Do they want to keep Adama? What version of Pedro Neto will they eventually get back if, if that's a torn patella tendon? Do they keep Ray and Aitnuri? Nuri? Do they keep William Jose? I'm guessing Jose won't be kept, which is a shame because I think as a backup for uh, for Jimenez, he, he's, a, he's a good fit. I would be loaning out Fabio Silva to get him games. Does Joe Moutinho stick around another year? Can they keep hold of Ruben Neves? And what do they do with that defence? Because it's a train wreck. Romain Sice may leave. Um, Connor Cody can't defend. Willie Bolly's best involvement in the game yesterday was a shot from 30 yards. Um, all things considered, it considered, it's a big summer for Wolves. They've got a lot of things they need to address. And they're rumored to be up for sale. So how much in investment is there going to be from a new man for for the new manager? How much are they going to give him to spend? And are they going to allow him to spend outside of the George Mendes pool of players? Because if not, they really limit themselves. It's a very talented squad. And that league position is hugely disappointing for them. Back-to-back seventh places and then to drop off like that. End the season with three defeats. And that was against United's kids. I mean, in no way does this represent Manchester United as a as a team. Brandon Williams at right-back. Tellers at left-back. Bailly and Tunzebi in the centre. Matic and Van de Beek. Elanga, Mata, James and Diallo up front. Hannibal Mejri came on. Shola Shortire came on. Credit to Ollie for getting both of those some game time. William Fish, who I wasn't familiar with before, came on as well. Looks a talented player. But United rested everybody. Wolves went about as strong as they could. And Wolves still lost. For United, second place... Um, 74 points. I mean, there are seasons when it wouldn't have gotten you into the top four. Most seasons, that's third or fourth. It's not a great second place. But it's second place nonetheless, and they've got the Europa League final to come. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Unai Emery is the master of the Europa League. So it's a tough one for Oli. He's going to have to get his tactics spot on. Don't know who to pick in that game. It looks like Harry Maguire is going to miss out as well, um, which is a big blow for them. But 
you know, it is what it is. They're going to have to rely on Bruno as they have all season. Moving on, Liverpool 2, Crystal Palace 0. Somehow, after the season from hell, Liverpool end up, set, end up third. Only five points behind United. Uh, conceded less goals than United. The fourth best defence in the league, despite not having a recognised centre-back since Christmas. Henderson played there. Fabinho played there. Phillips and, and, um, and William, Reese Williams. I mean, Quebec was there for a handful of games. He was He's the best centre-back they've had since Christmas. But they get the job done. Last 10 games, 8 wins, 2 draws. That's title-winning form. And they were top at Christmas. That 14-game run just killed their season. But they will be very, very pleased to get third to end the season in such good form. Sadio Mane gets the two goals, a tap-in on uh, sorry, 36, and then a deflected effort on 74 after good work from Salah. All things considered, Liverpool will take it. They'll take it and run. They've got question marks over certain things in the summer. They've got needs they need to fill without question. They need to get a starting centre-back to go with Van Dijk. They need depth at right-back, depth in goal. They're going to need a midfielder now to replace Ginny Wijnaldum. And they need one more in attack yeah, to freshen things up. Maybe two if somebody leaves. But all things considered, they're in a good position. Uh, the Wijnaldum departure is a big blow. He's been hugely important under Jurgen Klopp. I would say after Fabinho, probably the most important midfielder of the Klopp era. Fabinho's the one that took them from, you know, kind of fourth place into that title contention mix. But Wijnaldum, just in terms of he's there every game. He's reliable every game. He's always fit. He's so versatile. This is a guy that's played centre-back. He's played at full-back. He's played everywhere in midfield. Defensive midfield, attacking midfield, or the in-between role that he generally plays. And he was used as a false nine in the Champions League semi-final. So the versatility is incredible. The reliability is incredible. There can be no doubting his talent. He's one of the most press-resistant players in the world. He's super intelligent. Jurgen Klopp spoke glowingly about him in the pre-match program. It's disappointing to see him leave, and I don't know that we'll ever find out the circumstances of his departure, whether it was his decision or the club's. If it's the club's, it's a bizarre decision. Uh, James Pearson, the Athletic, has said that Liverpool have a policy that they don't give long-term contracts to players who are 30 or over. But that's nonsense, because it doesn't make any sense. They gave a five-year deal to Milner at 29. So what's the difference in giving that contract? And then a two-year extension at 34 to giving Wijnaldum a four-year deal at 30. Makes no sense. Van Dijk turns 30 soon. He's going to get a long-term contract. So it's a nonsense policy. I don't think it's true. I think it's something that's been made up. Whether they just didn't feel he was worth the money. I mean, he earns half of what James Milner does. Half. I don't imagine he was asking to be paid like Salah, like Van Dyke, But I'd imagine he was asking for parity with Milner, who he's played a far more important role than over the, the last five years. If it's his decision, it's his decision. And, you know, he's, he's accomplished everything he could have at the club. So he heads off with everybody's thanks, a Champions League winner's medal in one pocket, a Premier League winner's medal in the other pocket. He should be very, very proud of what he's done at the club. Um, the word legend gets thrown around too easy. I don't know that he's a legend, but certainly a great, great player for the club. Uh, Crystal Palace are the team probably with the most question marks this summer. So many players at a contract. Manager gone. Looking for a change in identity, looking for a change in culture, looking to modernise, I would imagine, after the prehistoric football that has been the defining mark of Roy Hodgson. It's a big, big job. Whoever takes over has got a lot to take care of. 
got to go through all those contracts and figure out who you want to keep. You have to have a look at all your medical records. You have to look at the age of the squad. Palace have been hammered by injuries this season. They've been, they've got, I think, I think the oldest squad in the league. You look at the thing yesterday as well, where they only have seven subs on the bench, and you wonder, like, why couldn't you just have brought two under-18s and given them experience? You brought Raksaki. He didn't get a look in. Didn't even give him a minute on the pitch. But you could have brought a couple of youngsters and put them on the bench and just had them get that experience of being involved in a match day. But Roy doesn't care about the long term, doesn't care about what happens to Palace. He would probably like to see Palace struggle a little bit so people would want him back. But it is what it is. Um, for Palace, it is a 14th place finish. It's about the Hodgie comfort zone. 44 points, that's right there in the sweet spot for Roy. It's a season of nothingness, really. Um, you know, 41 goals scored, that's an improvement for them. 66 conceded, so, you know, for all the defensive football, you'd wonder, you know, what the point of it actually is. Uh, 12 wins, 8 draws, 18 defeats. They are what they are under him. They are what they have been under Allardyce, Pulis, Warnock, Pardew. It'll be interesting to see who they go for next. It will be interesting. Because whoever it is, it needs to be someone who's capable of rebuilding a squad, a club. Lampard is not the guy. It's too big a job for Lampard. Guy nailed it. Lampard to Fulham. That's the That's the call. Lampard to Fulham works. Dice to Palace, probably what you need. Now, the football won't improve massively. Dice's stuff is better than any of the others. But he is a much better manager. He will get more out of the players. And he gets the most out of whatever budget he get, he's given. So, Sean Dice to Palace seems like a fit for me. Uh, moving on, Chelsea two, Chelsea defeated 2-1 by Aston Villa at Villa Park. Villa went 1-0 up. Bertrand Traore, well-worked corner. Not sure he meant to kick it straight into the ground, but it looped up and over Mendy in off the crossbar. Anwar, Anwar El-Ghazi uh, making a two from the penalty spot on 52 after Mendy was taken down. Ben Chilwell made a 2-1 on 70. A bit of a scrappy goal, but a goal nonetheless. And Cesar Aspilicueta was sent off on 89 for slapping is the wrong word. He kind of put his hand into Grealish's face. It was a little bit of a flick. From Grealish's reaction now, you'd think he'd been punched by Mike Tyson, but that's standard practice for Jack Grealish. Um, it's a great win for Villa. It's a very disappointing defeat for Chelsea. They dominated possession 72%. They had 23 shots, seven on target. They just they just couldn't get the job done. Um, the big blow for them was losing Mendy, who got injured colliding with the goalpost. Kepa had to come on, and it's possible now that Mendy misses the Champions League final. That would be a huge blow. That would be a huge, huge blow for Chelsea. Because I don't think anybody would trust Kepa in the Champions League final. Um, that's doubts now over him and N'Golo Kante. So we, we've got to see now what happens. Because if they're without those two, it's very hard to see how they how they lay a glove on, on City. Kepa would need to turn back into... Athletic club Kepa, not Chelsea Kepa. For Villa, good win. They finish 11th. It's a big step forward from last season's 17th. Um, they're 10 points clear of Newcastle. Back-to-back -back wins to finish the season. End up with a positive goal differential of, of nine. Um, you know, their defence has been quite good this season because Emi Martinez was brilliant. Ezri Konza was brilliant. Both of them should be in the team of the year, but I, I fear neither will be. They've been good in attack, sometimes a little bit stagnant. 
they could maybe look to address that in the summer, bring in another goal scorer or, or another wide player. But Villa are in a very good position. They've got the bones of a good team. They've got a lot of money behind them. They've got ambitious owners. There's pressure on the manager, but that, again, is a good thing because it means that he won't get too complacent, won't get too comfortable. Grealish is back. Whether they can keep him or not, who knows, but I'd imagine the price they'd put on him will will put off most interested parties. Um, So for Villa, I mean, it's just a case of, of reload and go again. Keep building. You don't need to do a whole lot. You just need to keep building. You need one at centre-back to replace Mings, who's not very good. You need one in midfield, and you need a wide player. Or you need a striker, depending on where you're going to play Ollie Watkins. But for Villa, it's very, very positive. Very, very positive. Chelsea have question marks. I mean, the defensively, they've been good under... Tuchel, but you'd still look at that defence and say that needs to improve. They need to find another in midfield. They're linked with a lot of strikers. I've said it before, I genuinely think you've got to play Havertz as the false nine with Pulisic and Werner either side and give them a run of games. See how that works with Mountain Central midfield. James and Chilwell. And see how that works. I genuinely believe that is something that could work very, very well. I think you'll get more from Mountain Central midfield. You'll get more from Werner playing tucked in off the left than you do as the number nine. He's just not a number nine. He's never been a number nine. It's not a position that suits him. The continued messing about with James at the right side centre-back and Aspi Laqueta as the, as the right wing-back is bizarre. If you want more pace in your defense, just put Kurt Zuma there. I understand you need to put pace around Thiago Silva because otherwise he'll get exposed because he's nowhere near the defender people thought they, thought he was when they were getting him. He used to be. He's not anymore. But, look, they didn't get the job done here, but they still fell backwards into the Champions League. Chelsea end up fourth because Leicester City choked. Another Brendan Rodgers special. Last season, they threw away a certainty of a top four finish. And this season, they've thrown away a certainty of a top four finish. Now, it's not quite as bad as last season's collapse. But it's not good either. Especially in the context just of yesterday. They go one up through Vardy on 18. It's a penalty when Alderweireld takes him down. He stands up, he scores. Harry Kane makes it two, makes it 1-1 on 41. Nice turn and hit through the goalkeeper's legs from about eight yards after a bit of a scramble. Vardy wins a second penalty. Now, this one to me is not a penalty. This one to me, he wraps his arm around Davinson Sanchez and he initiates all the contact and the fall. But he gets given the penalty, stands up and he scores. Now, this prompted the commentators to say he had a great season. I don't know that you could look at Jamie Vardy's season and say that it was great. Now, I know he scored 15 goals, but he scored a lot of penalties and he had a long drought without goals. To me, Vardy looked, looked like a player who's aging rapidly in this game. Everything looked rosy. They were winning. Liverpool were winning. Chelsea were losing. Leicester were going to finish fourth. Then Casper Schmeichel punched the ball into his own net. And then the wheels fell off completely. They had 15 minutes plus stoppage time. There ended up in about seven minutes of stoppage time in this game. So they had about 20 minutes left in which to score a goal. And they just fell apart. Bale made it 3-2. The first goal he scores is excellent. The second goal he scores is comedic defending. I I don't know what's happened to Kagler Sionchu in the last four months. I think he's been brodged. Um, Brendan notoriously makes defenders worse. I think that's what's happening. But 
shambolic defending, Leicester's defence all over the place. I don't know how Leicester, considering the players they have, I don't know how you concede 50 goals in a season. Given that I've been told Kasper Schmeichel's had an, an incredible season, how's he had an incredible season if he's conceded 50? Wes Fafana is without question an enormous talent. He's going to be fantastic. And he's had really good games, really good weeks, really good months. But again, 50 goals conceded. Sionchu's had injuries, but again, 50 goals conceded. That's a Brendan Rodgers defence. He inherited a good defence from Claude Poole. And he has made it considerably worse. Because that's what he does. Because he just is not a good defensive coach. Going forward, Brendan's very good. Defensively, utterly clueless. Brendan's answer to conceding less goals is play three at the back. That's Brendan's answer. You've got excellent defenders, a great defensive midfielder, and a good goalkeeper. Schmeichel was very good, I would say, at his best. He's not at that level anymore. He's been praised massively for his FA Cup final performance, and that's fair. But he has not had a particularly good season. You can't when you've conceded 50 goals. And you look at how they've collapsed this season. After 24, no, 28 games this season, they just looked nailed on for top four. It didn't look possible that they wouldn't get top four. They were very, very comfortable. They had a big lead on Liverpool. And they were potentially looking at finishing second. They were in the mix for second, without a shadow of a doubt. They were one point behind Manchester United and 13 points clear of Liverpool. They had, in fairness, played a game more. They had nine games left, Liverpool had ten. So with nine games to go, they're 13 points clear of Liverpool. <clears throat> and it, they just collapsed. You look at their results. They lose to... They beat Sheffield United. Their last ten games, they beat Sheffield United, relegated. They lose to City. They lose to West Ham. They beat West Brom, relegated. They beat Crystal Palace, 14th. They draw 1-1 with 10-man Southampton, who had a player sent off after 10 minutes. And they needed Johnny Evans to step up and score for them in that game. They get walloped by Newcastle. They beat Man City. Sorry, not Man City, Man United. But remember, they didn't beat Man United's first team. They beat their reserves because Ollie gifted them the three points by playing his reserve team. They lose to Chelsea. They lose to Tottenham. And they end up fifth. If they'd just gotten a draw in the Chelsea game, they'd be fourth. But they didn't try and win that game. They barely played any football until there was 70 minutes gone. They've done really well to win the FA Cup. They should be delighted with the fact that they won the FA Cup this season. But there's no excuse for this level of performance and this level of collapse. None at all. Not two seasons in a row. Not two seasons in a row. You look at how well they've done the last two years in the league. Last season, they spent 33 weeks in the top four. They went in on week three, came out on week five, went back in on week six, and were top four all the way to week 37. The last two weeks, they ended up in fifth. Back-to-back -back defeats. 
again Tottenham and Manchester United. Last season, looking from the halfway point of the season, they beat West Ham, who were dreadful. They beat Newcastle, who were dreadful. They beat West Ham again, who, who again were dreadful. They drew with Chelsea. They drew with Wolves. They beat Villa, who barely stayed up. Drew at Watford, who got relegated. Drew at Brighton, who weren't particularly good. Beat Crystal Palace. Drew at Arsenal. And beat Sheffield United, who had that really a bad finish to the season. In that time, they lost to Southampton, who they'd beaten 9-0 earlier in the season. They lost to Burnley. They lost to Man City. They lost to Norwich, who finished bottom. They lost to Everton. Lost to Bournemouth, who went down. Lost to Tottenham, lost United. Bottled it badly last season. And this season, not as bad, but it's still they still bottled it. They just have bottled it. It's as simple as that. They were in the top four for 36 straight weeks this season. So think about that now. 38 weeks in a season, two seasons of 76 weeks. All bar seven in the top four. And four of those seven have been the last two weeks of both seasons. Another two of them were the first two weeks of last season. So they've basically spent all season, both years, in the top four. Until the end. That is on Brendan Rodgers. That's not on anybody else. That is on Brendan Rodgers. Inability to manage the situation. Inability to perform under pressure. Credit them for winning the FA Cup. They didn't perform particularly well in the FA Cup final. It's not like they blew Chelsea away or they outplayed them. Quite the opposite. They required a world-class goal from a tremendous player. That if he hit it ten more times, he might not hit the target for them. The other five probably wouldn't go in. His inability to manage the end of seasons needs to be called into question here. He was the exact same at Liverpool to bottle the end of seasons. We saw it in 13-14. That's something Brendan needs to address this, this summer. It really is. That is something he needs to address. It's something Leicester needs to address as well. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have a look at the other five games. Right, welcome back. We'll rattle through the last five games then. Uh, West Ham 3, Southampton 0. Brilliant finish to the season for West Ham. Pablo Fornals with two goals on 30 and 33. Nicely worked team goals. And then Declan Rice on 86 when Southampton had just kind of given up. And their defence had fallen apart and he strolled in from probably 40 yards out. Carried the ball in, carried the ball, carried the ball, carried the ball and nobody closed him down. Uh, and a simple finish for Mr Rice. Uh, West Ham fully deserving of their victory. Southampton had their moments. Taki Minamino could have scored. But other than that, you know, it is what it is. West Ham deserved the win. West Ham finished sixth. What a performance. What a season for West Ham. Europa League football is theirs. David Moyes should be manager of the year. What a turnaround from last year. Last season, they finished 16th on 39 points. And they saved themselves at the end of the season from what looked like pretty certain relegation. But this season, they've just turned around completely. And they have completely deserved what they've gotten. They deserve six. They probably deserve more. In truth, they probably do deserve a little bit more. Because it's just a great season. It's a great story. It's tremendous for Moyes, who's obviously had a pretty tough time over the past few years since leaving Everton. United didn't work. Sunderland didn't work. Sociedad didn't work. But West Ham has worked for him. And he deserves credit for it. Now, I'm sure they'll look back at certain games 
Newcastle away, Everton at home, and think if we just could have won one of those two. Because the other defeats, well, to be fair, they lost both times to Newcastle. But Arsenal away is fine. Liverpool away is fine. United at home, Chelsea away, Liverpool at home, City away, United away, Chelsea at home. These aren't games they would would necessarily have expected to pick anything up in. Maybe Arsenal considering, but at the start of the season, Arsenal had some momentum behind them. But the two Newcastle games and that Everton game, I think they'll look at them and think if we just could have won one of them. They would have ended up fourth. And what a, what a story that would have been. But 19 wins, um, only City, United, Liverpool and Leicester won more. Chelsea won the same. 62 goals scored, 47 conceded. They've got the makings of a good team. I wrote an article on EPL Index last summer before the season started saying that Moyes needed to build, not rebuild. There was the bones of something there to work with. And to to their credit, that's what they did. Now, a couple of missteps along the way. It'll be interesting to see whether they keep uh, keep Lingard, whether they can afford to, what kind of money is going to be available to Moyes now with the Europa League. Um, they need to get in somebody who can be Antonio when Antonio is not there. Another body in central midfield, because after Rice and Suchek, it's, it's an empty cupboard. A left back and a younger goalkeeper. So they do have needs. They they have things they need to do. They probably need to get four or five signings in. Not all starters, but four or five signings in to freshen up the squad, improve the squad, strengthen the right areas, and, and be able to cope with having to juggle European football with Premier League football. Um, for Southampton, they just couldn't wait for the season to end. That run of games after Christmas just completely derailed them. And... Um, Probably a little bit lucky to stay in the division, if if we're being honest. Probably a little bit lucky to stay in the division. Because while they may have finished 15th and they may be 15 points clear of Fulham, that is down to Fulham being completely inept more than anything else. It's down to Burnley having a bad season. It's down to Brighton not being able to score goals. But that run of form they had, they won games at the right time to keep, kind of get themselves a bit more back on track. But a pretty, pretty disastrous season to finish 15 for Saints, having at one point topped the table. Um, only the 12 wins, 19 defeats, 68 goals conceded. It's the second worst in the division. Um, only West Brom conceded more. Uh, minus 21 goal differentials. Just what are you going to do when you have that? What are you going to do when you have that? Um, Arsenal 2, Brighton 0. Arsenal finished the season with six straight wins. And while you can say all the pressure was off, it was easier for them, and that is true, it is still good to see them playing good football and winning games. I've said before, I think Arteta needs to be replaced. I I stand by that. I don't think he's the right manager. I think he's out of his depth. And I think at the moment, Arsenal are beating teams because they've got better players than them. Simple as that. I mean, the guy who scores the two goals here, same guy who scored two in the week, Nicholas Pepe cost him 72 million. So you'd be expecting him to score your goals and win your games. He's had a much better season than he's been given credit for. 16 goals in all competitions, 10 in the Premier League and only 29 games. Played right wing, played left wing. He's played a little bit up front. Um, Pepe's had a good season. And they can look at him as part of what they're going to build over the next few years with Smith Rowe with Saka, with Thomas Partey, who was very good in this game as well. Gabriel, Kieran Tierney. Aubameyang, older, but, you know, the captain, whatever, he'll be a goal scorer for them. They should just play him up front rather than continue to mess around with him as a, as a winger. He looked much better up front in this game. Don't think they'll keep Odegaard. They shouldn't keep Xhaka. They should be sending him away wherever they can find a home from. Chambers and Holding, good squad players, nothing more. And I'd be looking to upgrade the goalkeeper, despite the fact that Arsenal did have quite a good defensive record this season, second, uh, third best in the league. 
that's largely because they've been a defensive team this season. It's not because they've defended particularly well. Uh, it's because they've been a defensive team because Arteta seems to be a defensive coach. But Smith Rowe, Saka, Pepe, Aubameyang gives them hope and attack. Um, they've got a lot of good young players there, a lot of good young attackers like some Martinelli, the likes of uh, Enketia, Nelson, uh, Balogun. So they've got they've got promise. But they have questions to answer. What do they do with Lacazette and things like that? So we'll get into that more later in the week. Um, we'll do th- three kind of questions that each club needs to answer. Uh, maybe Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. We've got a lot of days to fill. Um, but no, this is a good win for Arsenal. They finish eighth. It does bring an e- to an end a run of, I think, 25 straight seasons where they've had European football. Um, so that's disappointing. They won't be happy about that. Uh, it's back-to-back eighth-place finishes, which, again, they're not going to be happy with that. They finish below Spurs. And, again, they won't be happy with that. Um, for Brighton, it, again, I think they're just happy for the season to come to an end. It was it was nice to see some of the, the younger players like McAllister and Motor playing in this game. Uh, really would have liked to have seen Carbonic come on at left-back. Don't know what you gain by putting on Adam Lalana, who's been desperate all season. Um, made no sense to me that substitution. Uh, if, uh, Andy Zakiri would have made more sense to bring on than Lalana. Like they, you just could have brought on anybody other than Adam Lalana. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Brighton—they know what they have to do this summer. They've got to get a goal scorer in, and they've got to figure out what they're doing, what their plan is. Can they keep Basuma? Likely not. Move forward. Move forward. 16th is not where you want to be finishing. It really isn't, and especially not for Graham Potter. Defensively, they did quite well. Uh, 46 goals conceded. Only Villa um, matched that in the bottom half. Everybody else conceded 6 to 10 more, and some lots, lots more. They had a better, uh, better defensive record than Everton, Leeds, and West Ham, and Leicester, who finished in the top half. So defensively, Brighton were very good. But they've got to get more goals into the team. They just need to get a natural goal score. They create plenty of chances, but they need to find a natural goal score to start finishing them off. Um, Leeds United 3, West Brom 1. Leeds finished the season on four straight wins, and Big Sam ends it on four straight defeats. Uh, Leeds were very comfortable in this game. Rodrigo made it 1. Calvin Phillips made it 2. And Patrick Bamford from the penalty spot made a three. Hal Robson Canu with a late consolation goal on 90 for West Brom as they head down to the championship. We know Big Sam is leaving, so questions there over the manager and a bunch of other things in relation to the players. Again, we'll do that later in the week. For Leeds, though, what a season. What a tremendous season. To finish ninth, to win four, four games in a row to finish the season and look really strong. 18 wins. Only 15 defeats, 5 draws, 62 scored, 54 conceded. The defence was a major issue for a large part of the season, but did improve greatly towards the end. Um, a different type of formation from uh, from Bielsa yesterday as well, which was fun to see, but they've just been a joy all season. They really have been a joy all season. And long may it continue. There are rumours that Bielsa has agreed to a new contract so we'll keep our fingers crossed on that one but ninth is just it's a great return it really is a great return most points ever attained by a newly promoted team a second highest finish ever from a newly promoted team now i say ever premier league era nottingham forest fans don't come don't come chasing me you guys that was the old division one this is the premier league um but yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Delighted for them. Delighted for Bielsa. Delighted for a fan base that put up with an awful lot for 15 years that they are back where they belong. Uh, Newcastle beat Fulham 2-0. If this game had meant anything, Newcastle would have been the team to uh, to turn up. You just felt like from, from kickoff, they just had more purpose about them. Joe Willock running through the Fulham team uh, losing the ball, winning it back and scoring with nobody really troubling him all that much. Fabian Schaar made a 2 on 88 with a penalty. Bizarre choice of penalty taker. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Fulham, just go away. 
just just go away. What a disappointment. What an enormous disappointment. And it's all on Scott Parker. The guy is just not a Premier League manager. Big questions for them this summer. They've got a lot to do now. Loads of the players that they had in were in on loan and they will leave. Um, Interesting to see the only of the loan players who, by the way, have carried this team and given them any hope while Parker has continually killed their chances. Only Luckman started. Roddick started in goal. Tete at right back. Tim Ream came into the team. Joe Bryan was in the team. Onima played. He wasn't registered for the first half of the season, but he played. Uh, Ivan Cavaliero played up front. He could have scored a goal in this game. Uh, Fabio Carvalho, he set him up. He also had a decent chance. Um, but bizarre. Just bizarre management from Parker all season long. And the sooner Fulham rid themselves of him, the better they will be. Newcastle, though, finished 12th. How on earth has that happened? It just goes to show you how bad the teams in the bottom half of the league have been over the, the run-in. Because Newcastle, at one point, were sailing towards the championship. And in the end, they finish 17 points clear of Fulham. They finish above Wolves, above Crystal Palace, above Southampton, above Brighton, above Burnley, and then obviously the bottom three. Fantastic. Five-year contract for Steve Bruce. Um, Joe Willock... If Gareth Southgate doesn't at least consider him, he's failing in his job. Now, I'm not saying Willock should be in the squad, but he deserves to at least be mentioned because of the run of form that he's on. I mean, this is an incredible turnaround for Joe Willock. It again goes to show that Arteta has used his squad dreadfully. But this is a 21-year-old midfielder who scored eight goals in 14 games on loan for Newcastle. While Arsenal have desperately struggled for goals from midfield, this guy has just gone on an absolute tear since he was sent out on loan because apparently, I don't know, he wasn't good enough. Um, but, you know, Danny Ceballos, who was dreadful all season, he was good enough. Uh, eight goals would have made him Arsenal's fourth highest goal scorer this year. Lacazette's top, 13 in the league, 17 in all comps. Pepe, 10 in the league, 16 in all comps. Aubameyang, 10 in the league, 15 in all comps. And then Saka with five in the league, seven in all competitions, is fourth. So Willock would go in above him. Bizarrely then, Arsenal only had four players to score more than two goals this season. Eddie Nketiah, who barely played, is their fifth highest goal scorer. That is ridiculous. And Joe Willock couldn't have helped. Um, Newcastle, you'd imagine, would like to keep him. But if Arsenal have any sense, they will ensure that Joe Willock stays with them and that they get use of him because he's a very, very good player. Um, he's from a, a you know a talented group of brothers. His brother, Chris plays for QPR, he came through at Arsenal as well, went to Benfica didn't really work for him, but a good loan at Huddersfield, and then his time at QPR, he has been impressive, and then obviously his brother Matty who plays for Gillingham uh, he was at Arsenal, then went to United as a youngster a uh, bunch of loans, didn't really work out and now he's at Gillingham, he's probably the least talented of the three, he's the eldest brother, but Joe is definitely the best of the three and if Arsenal have any sense, they'll ensure that he's the one they keep hold of. Uh, and finally, to finish out the season, how have I ended with this? Sheffield United won, Burnley nil. Um, there's nothing really to say. Burnley were very poor and disappointing in this game. Sheffield United were Sheffield United. David McGoldrick played well and scored a goal. He is probably the one shining light from this desperate Sheffield United season. Uh, they obviously go down. They finish bottom. But they did win two of their last three games. Um, so they, they ended the season in better form than Leicester City. 
uh, six points from the last five games, whereas Leicester only took four from the last five games. Um, if they if if they could have gotten things going early, they won seven games. They end up on twenty three points. Fulham and West Brom won five. If they could have turned some of those draws, those defeats rather, twenty nine defeats into draws, they could have given themselves and you know won a couple more. They could have given themselves a chance. Then he won two less than Brighton, three less than Burnley. The first half of the season obviously just killed them. I mean, they were so, so poor through the first 17 games. They took two points from the first 51 available. And then after that, they won seven games from the last 19. Which, to be fair, is not bad at all. If they could have done that in the first half of the season, they'd have been fine. Um, look, the Premier League has been better for having this Sheffield United team in it. They were so much fun last season. They just got things completely wrong in the summer. Um, the big money buy of Rian Brewster, $23 million. He ends the season with less goals and assists than Alison Becker. Uh, I believe he has less goals and assists than Ederson as well. I think Ederson had one assist this season. But he's a talented player who, if they keep hold of him, they're going to keep hold of him because no one's going to pay them money for him. Him and Jebison is a pairing that could potentially be developed and fire them back into the Premier League. Um, I don't think, other than Sander Berger and McGoldrick, there'll be many players there that'll attract a whole bunch of interest. I think they're going to end up with largely the same squad. Now, Jack O'Connell is more than good enough to stay in the Premier League, but he's missed all season, so it's hard to see that anyone will pay pay money for him. Um, they're never going to be able to sell Ramsdale after that season, so it is what it is for him. But McGoldrick, if a club is looking for a hard-working, versatile attacker, now he is 33, but as a squad player for Watford coming up, or Norwich coming up for Palace, Southampton maybe, someone that's a, a lot more talented than he gets credited, credit for, David McGoldrick could make sense. He could be somebody worth considering. Um, for Burnley, I mean, again, they're just happy the season's over. The injuries at the start of the season killed them. They went on that dreadful run to the first six, seven games. They got themselves safe because of Dyche, but they have big questions to answer in the summer. And again, we'll, we'll come to them later in the week. But that's it. That is the season over. And what a bizarre season. All Leicester had to do was hold out. 2-1 up. 40 minutes left. Spurs not really looking like a team that were going to trouble them. Chelsea losing, Villa doing their part for them. It was right there in their hands. They threw it away. It hasn't been a classic Premier League season. It hasn't been a great season. City are a good team, not a great team. They're not one of the great Premier League champions. They beat Liverpool to the title by 17 points this season. Liverpool beat them to it by 18 points last season. Yet Liverpool apparently were the worst defending champions ever. What does that make City last season? Chelsea finished 10th once after winning the league and so on and so forth. Um, Liverpool, and this is courtesy of Gags Tandon, over the last three seasons, uh, Liverpool and Manchester City have taken the exact same number of points. City beat Liverpool to the title by one point, Liverpool beat them by 18, and now City beat them by 17. It shows there's been nothing between them for three years. And this season, yeah, there's been a bit between them. That's because Liverpool have had injuries. Next season will be interesting. Liverpool have ended the season in great form. They get Van Dijk back. They get Gomez back. If they keep Joel Matip, they'll have him back. Diogo Jota will be back fully fit next season. They're going to add as well this summer, potentially some big ones. City will add, of course. But it's hard to see anyone other than those two challenging for the title next season. Every club has big, big questions to answer, and, and we will get, get into them 
later this week, we'll have a look and kind of see what the most pertinent questions are for each of the 20 Premier League teams. Um, we'll also, tomorrow, probably just have a look around the other leagues in Europe for something different. Um, the other top five leagues and, you know, see where where they let, where they landed. Uh, maybe some of the other leagues as well. And then um, Thursday will be questions day. And I'm sure we'll we'll figure out what we're going to do moving forward. Obviously, the Euros are coming, so that'll be a focus for the summer. I will also have a daily uh, Euro preview show on Anfield Index Pro. Uh, myself and Carl Matchett, for those of you that subscribe there, that will be coming out uh, starting, I think, June 10th. Is it June 10th, the Euro start? So that'll be that. Uh, but until then, we will see you later. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy your evening. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.